morning, Grace. It's my joy and pleasure to open the scriptures this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And our responsive psalm from Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I should uh, explain the swamp comment earlier, shouldn't I? Um, there's a film from the 70s that has the dueling banjos in it. I'm not necessarily recommending the film, and I'm not going to name it, though I know it. Um, I'm not commending the film. It just has this scene with the dueling banjos in here. We had the dueling guitars, or dueling pianos, that's what they are. And I'll just stop now. <laughs> Where we begun a little mini-series this summer through John uh, chapter 14, 15, 16. Looking at uh, this, what's known as the upper room discourse, this is a time when Jesus meets with his disciples. He's shared this Last Supper uh, with them. And through this, instituting a new covenant, entirely new meal. Passover's done, gone, no remnants at all. We have a new meal in a new covenant. And we have the Lord's Supper, which we'll come to uh, just in a few moments in the service. But as he has initiated this, and Judas has now left the room, Jesus begins some teaching and explaining of what's next in his ministry, what's next for the disciples. Jesus has cast his grand vision of the union that he has with the Father and the place that Jesus is returning at the right hand of his Father. And this, this is in the wake of our study from the book of Hebrews where we, we read and studied of the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, ascended back into heaven as our great high priest, interceding for us, a once and for all time sacrifice in his blood, the forgiveness of sin, that is applied to us, and he stands forever, uh, seated actually at the right hand of the Father as that offering. And we give thanks. So the disciples are going to experience his departure, his death, his burial, 
uh, they can't quite conceive of the resurrection, but Jesus is pointing them in that direction. He comes now to this, this next little turn uh, in his teaching about his union with the Father, and he's anticipating the, uh, the Holy Spirit who will come and minister to his disciples. He says this little aspect of prayer. Remember, this is in the context of mission. And he, he gives this aspect of prayer. Ask anything. Ask whatever. It's, you, we have visions of a magic lamp. And we you know, ask whatever. Whatever you wish. And it will be granted unto you. Promises. All these promises that are made. And it almost seems too good to be true. And it's, uh, in fact, not too good to be true. But it is hard to believe. That whatever you ask, anything you ask, in the name of Jesus, Jesus will indeed bring and give. Already you're thinking, uh-huh. Or we've got all kinds of qualifiers, and there are needed some, but they'll come, I suppose, as we work through the text. This, this then, is, is the mission of the church. Encapsulated in this little phrase that Todd read just a few moments ago. It begins with this emphatic statement. Truly, truly. Now, a number of weeks ago we talked about amen. Amen, amen. Truly, truly. A du du duplicitous, du not duplicitous, a double use of the word. Amen, true. I mean, this, this is really true. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. And Jesus had just mentioned his own works uh, in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. He's alluded to his entire earthly ministry, right? Casting out of demons, a, a healing of the paralyzed, even raising of the dead. These, these are his works, and now he's telling you, his disciples, greater works will you do. Now, we can talk about whether it's qualitative, although I kind of doubt it. Uh, how, could your, how could our works be of more quality, of a greater quality than of Jesus? I suspect not. Even quantitatively, we, I suppose we may think of it in some regard, and yet, by the end of John's Gospel, we realize there's a lot more than what's even recorded. John puts it this way in John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing you would have life in his name. There's a lot more that could be documented. And, and then he'll go on with a, another more vague statement, but alluding to the same reality in chapter 21, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. And were one of them to be written, I suppose, if every one of them were to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. 
So how do we deal? It's not really quantitatively greater. It's not really qualitatively greater, but they're greater. You'll do the, His great works and then greater yet. And well, perhaps we might think, again, not quantitatively necessarily, but extent. The extent. The reach of which these works come. The response of the people to the works indeed is exponentially wider and in that sense quantitative. You know, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and the response is not overwhelming, positively. Uh, Jesus teaches uh, sometimes in John's Gospel, and he says, I am the bread of life, eat from me. And that does not rally people around him. They shy away from these kind of extremist radical statements that Jesus seems to make. But then this, this same message, however, preached in Acts chapter 2, brings about thousands who respond with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and another 5,000 in Acts chapter 4 with Peter and John preaching of Christ. Okay, so the reach is broadening. And within our context of mission in John's Gospel. We understand that what Jesus is talking about, the, the greater works and the things of which we're to ask are related to the advance of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus um, tends to move from the material to the spiritual. He did this with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He tells this teacher uh, of the Bible, unless you're born again of water and spirit, you cannot see the kingdom. And Nicodemus is still on the material. Like, wait a minute. How can, how can I go back into my mama's womb? Now, in New Age thought, of course, we can mimic that. We call into the fetal stage and we just go through the process and we, I'm new! Some people do that, but not so new. But no, Jesus then has to teach Nicodemus, get off the material. That's just an illustration of the spiritual. The next chapter, John chapter 4, similar kind of thing with the woman at the well. He says, I am the water of life. And she says, yeah. Give me that water that I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to keep coming out here and get water and go back into town. She's still on the material, and Jesus turns that and raises her vision to the spiritual. And so when we see this uh, greater works, and that, wow, we're going to do fantastic, miraculous signs and wonders, even greater than that of Jesus. Well, Maybe that, that's not for us to get into in John chapter 14 per se. But we know that, that Jesus has always wanted us to raise our vision above the material. So let's try to do that. Miracles are indeed desirable. But there is better than that. Greater 
than the miracles. Greater than the signs and wonders. Those things are on the material level. They happen in our physical experience in order to elevate our vision to the reality, the spiritual. So let's, let's not stay down here on signs and wonders. Let's raise our vision and expectation of the greater work in Jesus Christ. So with that then, how is it that we engage in the mission? And it's by means of intercession, and that's where Jesus goes. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and even greater. But what is, what is the parameter? What's the condition? Belief. Faith. We have different words in English. Faith, believe, belief. Uh, but in the language of the New Testament, it's the same word. It's the same root. Faith. This is, this is what is essential to intercession. This is for the believer. And, and it's not limited to only the 11 that are left in the upper room. It says, whoever believes. And by the time we get to John 17, we recognize Jesus is praying indeed for the future believers that will come. Whoever believes. Are you a believer? This is where it begins. Do you have faith? Do you, do you hold fast to the person and work of Jesus Christ? Are you clinging to Him? Yes, you perhaps have heard about Him. You have information about Him. You hear that He has the Son of God became a man, died on the cross to bear the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death, but was raised on the third day to overcome that punishment of death for sin, vindicated at the right hand, and by that victory, now you can have forgiveness of sin and fellowship with God. You've heard that. Now you know this. But do you believe it? Do you entrust your very being to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I ask you, please do that. Yield, surrender, trust, believe on Jesus. And you'll be saved from the wrath of God that we, that we sung of, prayed of, earlier in the service. For God will pour out His, His holiness upon, yes, His creatures, even those created in His image that move away from Him, won't listen to the word of their Maker. And so, we beg one another, trust this Jesus. Believe on this Jesus. And be saved. With that now as the condition, as the foundation, the essence of life, then we can pray. And, and this is a, I should go back and say, the tense of the verb here is present continuous. 
we keep on believing. In our tradition, and there's a lot of great to it, and there's truth to this, is that we make a decision, we come to faith in Christ, and we're good. And that's it. But no, the, the way faith, belief is described in the New Testament, and right in this verse, it's a present, active, continuous reality and experience. Believing. And we could translate it better that way. Whoever is believing in me will do my works and even greater. So verse 12 gives us this aspect of faith. Verse 12 continues to go on to give some of the rationale. Greater works will the believer do because I'm going to the Father. The ascension of Jesus Christ. The absence of Christ in His physical body from this earth does not mean a diminished power, less power for the disciples. In fact, it's the very opposite. Because Jesus is returning to His heavenly place at the right hand of the Father, there is more power, there is more to experience for the believer. There is more relational truth with God. There is more mission for God. And if we look ahead to verses 16 and verse 26, we, we learn that the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father and the Son to us. And He's sent from heaven to empower all believers on the earth. Even as the Son had been, now the Spirit will be everywhere. And Yes, we want to see Jesus. We long for His appearing. It is better to be in His presence. But let us not forget this truth because He has gone and sent the Holy Spirit. We have more power, we have more authority to live holy lives than any other generation before the church age. We have it way better than any who have gone before. Better than David. Better than Elijah. Better than Elisha. We have the Holy Spirit and the promises of the new covenant in Christ. Now, live that way. Live in the victory. Live in the power of the resurrection. You can stop sinning. I'm not saying you'll be perfect because as soon as you begin to think it, okay, now we got to confess again. But for the, you can stop. If you have belief, you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and you can, by the power of the Spirit, stop. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Victory because of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Through His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, His work providing our redemption, our justification, completes a satisfaction of the righteousness of God the Father. So, believing and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ 
Verse 13 goes on to give us another uh, parameter for this missional intercession, and it is the glory of God. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Great works and greater works are those which bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. He talked about this glory in John chapter 13, verses 30 to 32. And this is, this is right in the context of Jesus giving a morsel of bread to Judas and saying, go, do what you're about to do. And Judas leaves, and it's dark. And he's about to betray his master. And at this point now, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. You see, even in the betrayal was Christ glorified and the Father glorified in Christ. The obedient servant, a servant even unto death. We are confused, aren't we? with what we think brings glory, with what we think brings honor to the name of God. We've got it turned around topsy-turvy. But in our great works and in our greater works, Hendrickson puts it this way, the resplendent attributes of God will shine forth in their beauty in and by the means of these works. The attributes of God resplendent in their beauty and glory shine through you as you believe upon Him and claim power in the victory of Christ. Well, our next parameter, the name of Jesus. This is repeated twice, isn't it? Verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever, anything, those are boundless words. Just sidelight. Who do you pray to? You can pray to Jesus. Jesus says, ask me. Oh. So it's okay to say, dear Jesus. I know sometimes in our uh, rigidity of certain interpretations and readings of Scripture, you pray to the Father in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's absolutely true. But it's not all. Charles Spurgeon, for example, as he's climbing the pulpit stairs uh, to give his sermon, has said that each step on the way, he says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And, and he would pray then to the Holy Spirit to come and empower him, enable him, and fill him for ministry. God is triune. One God, three persons. Speak to them. Speak to them all. Well, that's a footnote. 
Whatever you ask in my name, ask me anything. But, okay, here's the qualifier. Right? Here's the limitation in the name of Jesus. This is not a blank check. This is not carte blanche. This is everything and anything to do with the name of Jesus that the Father would be glorified in Him. Those requests, you can be absolutely sure God will answer. No, this is not a magical incantation. It's not something that we just put on the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen. That's good, and that's fine, as long as you know what you're doing. Otherwise, you're taking his name in vain. Yes, you can even be praying reverently as you think and misuse the name of Jesus. If you apply the Jesus to something that is below him, something that is less than his glory or the Father's glory, then you're misusing the name. You're using his name in vain. Well, we wouldn't want to do that, would we? In Jesus' name means to ask the request for the honor of Christ and the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name means that you say along with Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In Jesus' name is to submit to his reign and rule and to conform your will to his. To pray in Jesus' name is to invoke the merits of Christ's blood and his grace to intercede for you before the throne of God. So how in the world could you ask for selfish, petty things with the precious blood of Jesus that bought you. Yet, here is the fact that Jesus promised. You who believe on Him, anything and everything in the realm of His honor, whatever you ask for the honor of His name, He will do. Yes. Now, it's for his name. R.A. Torrey, I read this in one of the commentaries somewhere, this historical uh, little anecdote. R.A. Torrey received a letter. He's a preacher from generations ago. He received a letter from an elder in the Presbyterian Church, not to defame the Presbyterians by any means at all, just this happens to be the context. He'd been in the church 30 years. He'd been the Sunday school superintendent 20-some. He'd been an elder for 20. And he's complaining that God hasn't answered his prayer based on these kinds of verses. Well, R.A. Torrey makes the observation this man was really attempting to approach God in his own name, in his own honor, in what he has accomplished. Oh, it's very subtle, isn't it? Very deceptive. But he's thinking 
He has done enough for God to hear him and listen to him and answer him. God will not hear a prayer like that. The only way to approach the Father is through the Son. What the Son has accomplished for you, not what you have accomplished for Him. See how easily we can misuse the name of Jesus or even deceive ourselves that we're in Him. Peter Lewis in, in uh, his, uh, another historical um, book on uh, the Christian martyrs and Christian heroes of the faith Maybe you've heard of this one because it's a classic that's used of a Chinese pastor who was placed in a labor camp because of his faith. And he was still vocal even within the labor camp to, to the point where they, they confined him again and disciplined him further in order to be quiet. They forbade him to pray out loud and to sing hymns. Um, but as punishment, they had him clean the latrines and then take that filth out to the fields and fertilize the soil. And the, the stench was such that the guards would stay away from him. And he could pray and sing out loud. You see, it was for his good. He would, and, and, and it's quoted, our favorite song, I come to the garden alone. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That's a relationship with Jesus. That's first of all seeking His praise and His glory and then yielding to His will. Well, greater, whatever, anything. Solomon was given this test, wasn't he? Ask anything, the Lord says of Solomon. And Solomon asks for wisdom. Oh, not the grand pursuit of his own fulfillment of knowledge, no. But when you read the context of his request, that I might guide the people of God. Who is able to lead such great people? He needs wisdom. And of course, God would answer that prayer. James helps us by pointing out that we desire and do not have. And you do not have because you do not ask. So begin asking. But you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Not your passions, but the passion of Christ. Let us approach the throne of grace boldly, Hebrews chapter 4, that we would find mercy in time of need. And we have not because we ask not. But let us ask 
for the glory and the name of Jesus. Do you want to see more men and women, boys and girls, come to know Jesus in this way? Ask. Do you want to see more help with ministry around here? Pray for laborers to go out into the harvest field. Do you want to see the mission budget increased and raised? Pray for the missionaries, but pray that we would be missional. We have not, because we ask not. But if we ask according to the name and honor of Jesus, we can expect great things from God. Not carte blanche, but the name of Jesus. So, Father, indeed, as we would seek to commune uh, with you through Christ and the Spirit, you've given us this vision of, of a place of dwelling and union with the triune God. And now you've given us a way, a means, a mission by which to experience this. And so lift our eyes off the material and onto the spiritual. Off ourselves and onto Christ. And Lord, as in a few moments we would turn uh, to remember his great work on our behalf. Lord, would you use these elements, these memorials of bread and of the vine and renew our faith in Christ that we would be believing in his name 